Hello and welcome back to Every Horror Movie on A24. Uh, we are continuing our little format shift as the uh, SAG strike is continuing. The writer's strike is over, but until the actors get a fair deal from the studios, we are going to continue staying off our usual platform from which we review horror movies, which shall remain unnamed today. I'm Patrick. I'm here as usual with Chris. Hello. And Steven. Hey, and I think you dropped Blu-ray from the title of the show, Patrick. That's an important <laughs> aspect. Every A24 movie on Blu-ray, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, But yeah. the pressure is working. I watched this working. one on DVD. I don't know if I've watched any of these on Blu-ray yet, honest, honestly. The the pressure is working. Um, I don't know how long the writer's strike lasted before we started doing this, but within weeks of us uh, switching formats, the writer's strike has been settled. <laughs> so I'm, I will take credit for that. Yep. Yeah, we did a good thing. I have it on good authority by someone, uh, a, a friend of a podcaster I listen to, who is using like the Zodiac or astrology in some way to predict the end of the strike. They predicted the end of the writer's strike to the day, and they said that the they believe, according to the stars, the actor's strike will be resolved by Halloween. Oh. So let's enjoy this month, guys. Wow. That doesn't give us a lot of time okay. to review these movies. Yeah. Yeah, well, we are here today to review my A24 pick, Climax, but before we get into that, I mean, we've had a busy month here, guys. We skipped an entire episode <laughs> because we went on vacation. We went to New Orleans for Steven's birthday, and uh, we, we skipped saw, out of town. Yeah. We saw an incredibly memorable water ballet adaptation of Carrie, which I think is the most germane activity to the show that we did down in New Orleans. Carrie, blood in the water. Oh. I just I found an ad for this in their kind of entertainment or alt weekly magazine. Thought twenty bucks. Let's see if the boys are into it. And you guys seemed pretty excited. I was a little on the fence. It was worth triple what we paid. It fucking <laughs> ruled. I don't even know how to describe this experience. I mean, there there were thrills, chills, spills. We saw someone set on fire right yeah. before our very eyes. We could feel the heat on our faces. We saw Never hearts ripped out. Yeah. Although, was there actually blood in the water by the end? That was the big. That was our big question. I don't think there ever was. Right. There was a red floodlight. I don't think they right. wanted any dye in the water. Which makes um, sense. Yeah. yeah. But it gave us everything else short of blood in the water. It was a delightful, campy, very creative experience. Yeah, it was essentially, I mean, it was it was a very stripped-down, loosey-goosey, very queer adaptation of Carrie mm -hmm. in which, like, the, the actors... Well, Carrie's on a swim team. You know, they got to make this fit somehow. And the actors kind of, like, act out a scene as they're moving around the pool, um, and they're... There's some comedy thrown in and, and some, some queerness, as I mentioned. And then there's a punk rock band doing musical covers of like popular songs from the 70s and 80s. They would blast into a number, and there would be an epic Busby Berkeley-style <laughs> musical number with synchronized swimming in the pool. And then uh, then then they would resume with another little, little scene. And pretty much the second half of it was... You know the the most famous you know final prom scene from Carrie, mm -hmm. which is where we saw someone set a blaze, yeah, in front of us. It was fucking fantastic. Uh, if you're ever in New Orleans, look up Aquamob. Yeah, it's the name of the group that put this on. Yeah, they they adapted uh, Alien last year for Halloween, which I would have absolutely loved to see. Now having seen their take on Carrie, but maybe we'll have to go back down and see what they do for Halloween next year. Mm -hmm. So outside of our uh, little uh, jaunt down to New Orleans, what else have you been doing in the horror world, guys? Well, I, this is kind of interesting because I watched something and so did Steven. And then you and I, Patrick, we watched something together. Um, so mm -hmm. maybe, I'll, maybe I'll open with those. I watched No One Will Save You on Hulu. Yeah. The, oh, I've seen the, that now, too, actually. Oh, you've seen that now, too? The, the yeah. Gray Alien home invasion thriller which honestly the less said about it the better i i, I want to be a man of peace at the moment so people are loving <laughs> it they're embracing it the critics adore it um i've heard the director give a couple of really good interviews he's been popping up on my horror podcast feed but man i thought this thing stunk to high heaven i thought it was like everything that i hate about modern or the director saying like i don't want to make a movie about trauma and grief and that's like kind of exactly what it is it's like there's t 
There's like, there's like too much character and not enough aliens. And when we see the aliens, they're CG and they just ain't spooky. So I liked it a little bit better than you guys, for sure. I, I did enjoy the aliens. I really, really appreciate Caitlin Deaver's performance because there's, I mean, the big gimmick with this movie is there's almost no dialogue in it. Um, and it's it's really on her uh, and, and just her, her face to carry this whole movie. And I thought she did that really well but the ending just fell the fuck apart for me i really didn't understand what it was trying to go for in the end but definitely enjoyed it more i think than you two did up to that point yeah it it really felt like the ending was sort of like attacked on like oh let's give this a theme let's make this about trauma because that's in right now um i don't know maybe i'm too cynical right but and i didn't even understand what it was trying to say about that if that was what i mean that did seem to be the the theme but i didn't understand what the point was exactly yeah it's really strange because again the performance is wordless you kind of have to do some which i appreciate you have to do some work to kind of figure out this character you know nobody in the town will speak to her you know a woman spits in her face and you kind of have to like piece together like okay what happened to her like why is she so reviled and then once that is like finally revealed (laughs) you're like i I get it I was like, yeah, I, I not only do I get it, but also like this is the best you could come. Like this is just so outlandish and absurd yeah. that I think I, I I had to rewind it. Yeah. Because I, I didn't realize like, oh, that's the moment we've been waiting for. Yeah. Uh, what a what a swing, I guess. No pun intended. Yeah. Well, speaking of the moment we've been waiting for, Patrick <laughs> and I saw Saw X or Saw mm. 10 if you're boring. Oh, I thought it was Socks. Well, that's how, that was that's your review. It's not the name of the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, that is my review. Actually, it sucks. <laughs> um, I I look. I, I am not going to come on uh, my podcast and and talk about talk shit about a saw movie. I think it's <laughs> I think it's beautiful that in this day and age, the year twenty twenty three, we got to see. A new Saw movie open, led by Tobin Bell, with all the hallmarks of the Saw series in it in a pretty uncompromising fashion. I was with this movie and greatly enjoying this movie until about 20 minutes from the end, at which point bad decisions and filmmaking malpractice started to pile up and sent me out of the theater despondent and dismayed, <laughs> much like Jigsaw at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> wow, see, I've only ever left a Saw movie feeling despondent and dismayed, and I always thought that was kind of the point. No, not like this. <laughs> well, yeah, if you see this one, it'll it'll really take you to new levels of that. I, I also was very disappointed with the ending of this, and disliked much of what went before it a lot more than chris did um i mean huge props to tobin he actually gets something to fucking do in this movie and and shows that he is capable of that but i don't know it was just a weird kind of blend of like prestige drama almost i mean not even prestige it's like a drama about jigsaw and just his like body and his life falling apart for honestly way too long and then when it like cranks up into saw mode it's just the traps were sort of underwhelming the ending was just an absolute mind blower of a clusterfuck i don't know i was very disappointed in this especially in comparison to the kind of rapturous response it's received from critics and fans um yeah it got such great reviews and so many people whose opinions i listened to liked it a lot so i was going going in with very high expectations i want to know when the last time any of these people saw saw or saw two or even saw three was because this this movie isn't on par with those and the filmmakers were trying to make something that was more in the line of saw and saw two than the later sequels but i want to know when the last time they watched those movies is too because i can't imagine the way they build jigsaw up to be so sympathetic in this movie Knowing it's an immediate prequel to Saw 2, mm-hmm. watch Saw 2. He's fucking heinous in Saw 2. Not, to, not the least of his crimes is abducting a young boy and keeping him in a safe to teach his dad a lesson, <laughs> which seems very at odds with what happens in Saw X. <laughs> Um, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's this bizarre thing where I think it's gotten to, to the point where, you know, it's almost that Michael Myers effect where it's like Michael Myers is the hero of Halloween at a certain point, 
um, because there's just so much fan like adoration for him. And I think Jigsaw has certainly reached that point where it's just like, we love Tobin, we love Jigsaw. And it's playing more on not necessarily the character of Jigsaw, but on our like love and sort of what we projected onto that character. And it's a very uncomfortable fit with any mm-hmm. portrayal of him before and kind of reflects in a really weird way on the fan base, honestly. Well, yeah, it's like uh, Jigsaw has a he is the de facto protagonist, basically, even when he's dead in the in the movies, he's still sort of like the de facto protagonist. And we like him for the same reason people started rooting for Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers or any yeah. of these people. But the thing is, you can root for Freddy Krueger and also be aware that he's like fucked up and like shouldn't be killing people or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and here, like this is trying to give you permission to root for Jigsaw in a, in a sort of. Of, uh, unsubtle way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird movie. Anyway, Weird Could movie. talk about it for 90 minutes, but yeah. won't do that. Steven, what else have you been uh, watching or reading or, or whatevering? Um, uh, I will plug the book club. It's back, though I haven't started our selection. I think I, I will have to be nearly finished with it by the time this ep comes out. We're doing uh, Bad Brains by Kathy Koja, who happens to be a local Detroit area author who shot to fame in the early 90s for her kind of extreme, gritty, splatterpunk-esque take on the horror genre. So I'm pretty excited to check that one out. It'll only be the second book of hers I've read. As far as horror film, I... I can't say I watched a movie because I didn't finish it, but uh, I've been riding the gray train like Chris, and I started to check out The Fourth Kind the other night with some friends, and I texted Chris that it may be the worst movie I've ever seen. That's a lie. (laughs) I I I have not heard good things about that. It's... So this this is a ostensibly this is based on a true story about this psychiatrist played by Mila Jovovich, who uh, finds out there's all these disappearances in a real life town called Nord Alaska, and she starts to suspect that it's aliens that are abducting people, and in one of the most bafflingly constructed ways I've ever seen a film made, there is documentary footage and quote-unquote actual audio interspersed throughout the drama of this film that is all entirely fake even though this was marketed as being real and it's i think done very poorly but i can see how the average person who maybe doesn't have a great sense of like media literacy could be fooled including one of the people i watched this movie with (laughs) and i think it's reprehensible the town of nord alaska was very upset about this movie as well because there are disappearances there due to the harsh weather and they thought it was despicable that filmmakers would try and cash in on that and make a movie saying that it's about aliens um that's the harsh weather. The cold conditions up there are a cover-up for the alien activity. Yeah, sure. But anyway, this is all presented as fact, and it's the, i got to talk about the filmmaking for a moment because it is so jarring. I mean, my, my jaw was on the floor for a lot of the hour of this that I watched. There's so much split-screen in this movie. And split-screen between the fake documentary footage and the actors playing the people that are supposedly real. And every time a new actor comes up, they get a title card. It doesn't matter if it's 45 minutes in the movie. It's Will Patton as Sheriff whatever. Like, he gets I love a that. Card. That's, that's very Metal Gear Solid. There, there are times when there are up to four, I think maybe even more, different split screens going on on the screen that are all different combinations of the events unfolding in the movie and alleged real footage that is supposed to prove that these events happened that are all entirely fabricated. Hmm. I I thought it was just egregiously, despicably unethical, and I couldn't finish it. I mean, not only that, it's boring as hell. Uh, If you're looking for a scary alien movie, this is not the one for you. Hmm. So, so that's the that's the fourth kind, man. What a doozy! Be curious if any of our listeners are fans and want to hop on the Discord to try and defend it. Uh, Patrick, do you have anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just hit a couple things because I mean, 
obviously it's been four weeks since we last convened and also it's spooky season. So I've just been binging all kinds of shit, but I'll give a, a quick shout out to a couple of things. I read a really amazing graphic novel called A Guest in the House. It's from the author Emily Carroll, who did the anthology oh, yeah. uh, through, the through the Woods yeah, a couple of years ago, which absolutely ruled. We've talked about a few things so far in this episode that fall apart a little bit at the end. And this is another one in that vein. Like it didn't quite pull everything together for me. But the visuals, the storytelling, the character work in this were just fascinating. It's about this uh, woman, very introverted woman who has kind of recently married a guy who just kind of has a bit of weird energy about him. And something happened to his previous wife. We're not quite sure what. And this woman is kind of trying to figure out what's going on in her house. What happened with this woman? What's going on with uh, her husband and her new stepdaughter? And it was just really fascinating, very empathetic, beautiful use of the graphic novel format. And uh, any, any kind of issues I had with where it wound up in the end, which were not necessarily offensive. It just kind of, it ends abruptly um, was the main issue I had with it. But up to that point, it was just absolutely spellbinding. So would definitely recommend that and, and just her work in general. She's incredible. And also recently cruised through the most recent season. I think it's now season five or six of what we do in the shadows. Uh, you've heard a lot about <laughs> that show on this show before, uh, but it still continues to just absolutely slap. This is, if anything, for an incredibly, incredibly weird show, it's probably the weirdest season they've done yet. And that was just an absolute delight. So if you uh, are maybe a little behind on the show, just strong recommendation to catch up because it's worth it and if you haven't seen any of it get started because it's a blast it's a great show and i really need to catch up on this season the first episode was was mental and uh <laughs> lived up to my expectations and i i just have not had the time to get back to it but it's spooky season i've got no excuses yeah yeah and it's you know it goes quick too it's you know 10 mm -hmm. 20 30 minute episodes the last thing I'll give a shout out to is a little bit of Amon special content that's headed your way. As we mentioned, uh, we skipped an episode, but we're going to make it up to you with a very, very special episode coming just one week after uh, the episode you're listening to now comes out. So on October 26th, just in time for Halloween, we will be dropping an episode in which I, Allison with a Y, and our friends Rowan and Exilia from the It Slays podcast reviewed every single movie in the Paranormal Activity franchise. Uh, Chris and Steven, as you've heard before, uh, said absolutely no to that mission, so we <laughs> undertook it on our, on our own. Um, we've done a few of these franchise review apps in the past. We've done Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Final Destination. So we figured here's a little Halloween treat or maybe a trick. We'll see. But that's coming your way on the 26th. So I've been watching a lot of paranormal activity as well. But let's, uh, now that we've done a half hour of catch up, let's get down to brass tacks for today. It's a climax. lot of buildup. It's time to climax. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Gaspar Noe's Climax. We've got a bunch of dancers locked in That's your four movie. dead bodies. <laughs> That's <laughs> your movie. <laughs> yeah, that's your movie. We've got a bunch of dancers. Uh, they have come from all over the world to work with a kind of notable choreographer. They're in a, you know, kind of your typical industrial warehouse art space. And shit goes absolutely sideways when they drink some sangria that has been uh, tainted, spiked with LSD. And that is your movie, basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's your movie. This is um, a vibes-based movie. <laughs> this yeah. movie is very thin in the plot department. It's quite thin in the character department. Uh, we meet these characters through a little prologue in which they have sort of taped interviews for whatever this dancing choreography project that they're embarking on is. And so mm -hmm. you hear an interviewer who I guess is a choreographer or someone who works for them uh, speaking to each of the people that we'll see in the film sort of about their background. And we get a sound bite or two from each of them and just enough to sort of understand who these people are when you see him again then we see him again in a rousing dance number that is pretty sensational and well done and they say that was sensational and well done that's a wrap let's drink 
and it sort of just descends into chaos, both in the events of the movie and the filmmaking itself from there. And you're either with it and you like it or you don't. <laughs> so, Chris, would you view it or <laughs> screw it? I'll tell you probably pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> what was y'all's past experience with Gaspar Noé? None. Okay. And you've I, seen Irreversible. I, at least, he did right, the Stephen? nun, right? Yes, what? he did the nun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I've seen Irreversible. I actually quite... I don't know if liked is the right word. It was it was very effective. I was surprised. It's a movie that is notorious um, for. I mean, among many other things, it, the the crux of it is a like about a twenty minute rape scene that is one take. Um, so like, who who wants to who wants to sit through that? Um, but it was I, but a movie I, that I put off seeing for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I mean, I would say I have. I, it was within the last maybe eight to nine years that I finally watched it, um, and it came out what like early two thousands. Yeah, that sounds something right. Something like that, late late nineties, um, and and that's about it. I tried to watch Enter the Void and found it just too dark and grim and unpleasant and i thought you know this is the guy who brought us irreversible he's known for being kind of a bad boy and edgelord and i just didn't feel like it was going to be redeeming enough to sit through the the train spotting-esque uh grit and grime of that thing what about you patrick yeah like i said i've seen irreversible and it took me a long time to get around to it um i was very impressed and also found it very effective when i finally did i we were talking about this last night steven i am not sure if i've seen enter the void i think i just saw the kind of famous opening title sequence and i don't think i ever got around to actually seeing the movie but suffice to say uh yeah noe is known for being a transgressive button pushy edgy kind of filmmaker and he's actually kind of commented on how this has been his most uh kind of turned out to be his most accessible in some ways most successful and most uh critically appreciated film which i think will tell you something because it's still a fucking crazy ass and and very unusual um not particularly commercial movie but it's it was made the filmmaking process on this is is really interesting he just had kind of a basic concept of some dancers in a warehouse you know drinking some spiked booze and and seeing what happens from there he says he was just interested in this idea of people creating something beautiful and artistic together and then just seeing it fall apart for some reason. And he cast primarily dancers who were not previously actors and just, they didn't have a script. They just kind of made it up as they went along. It was a short shoot, 15 days. Um, And he even kind of allowed them to um, improvise some of the things that happened to their characters, their characters' final fates. So it was this very like loosey goosey kind of shooting experience. And, and the folks who worked on it, have described it as a very, I mean, for what winds up being a very heavy, depressing, grim movie as things go along, the folks who worked on it have described it as being like a very joyful, very fun shooting experience. So that really fascinated me, actually. Yeah, and I, I feel like uh, on the last episode, I talked about how I'm not a fan of, of long takes um, in films, and I feel like someone heard me because <laughs> this this movie is is long takes after long takes. It didn't bother me though. Um, I I thought they were pr- like I I didn't really notice it. I there were a few points where I'm like I feel like this is a take that's been going on for a while, and then I got on Wikipedia and read there's like a 41 minute take, and it didn't you know it didn't draw that much attention to itself, and also the subject matter and the actors like it's it really immerses you in the in the world and the textures of of what's going on in this club, um, and yeah. so I I thought it was a, a fairly intelligent use of the long take thing, which otherwise kind of bothers me when I see it in a movie. Yeah, it doesn't like it doesn't like super call attention to itself. I want to say it kind of works on a more subconscious level where you're aware of kind of the immediacy of everything that's going on around you, Mm -hmm. but it's not like it's not necessarily show offy, which is kind of interesting. And it was just watching that. I mean, because the the forty minute take you you referenced is basically the entire like freak out when the shit really goes down, like the back half of this movie is is that long take after a couple of other longer ones earlier in the movie and 
I, I was just, my mind just kind of boggles at how you kind of choreograph that and put it together with like no script on this tight of a shooting schedule. It's just, yeah, kind of mind boggling, honestly, that he pulled it. And I mean, he shot this, like the, the camera was on his shoulder, like he is shooting throughout this. So it's not like he's elsewhere, like choreographing people or getting them ready to, for their blocking when somebody comes back through. I don't know. It's, it's a... Uh, the, cre- the creative sad. process behind it is wild. There's not that much to it, though. Like, you have a few characters who have to say or do something important at certain points. So you got to make sure they know when they're going to do it. But the rest of it's vibes. It's like, all right, everyone's fucking freaking out. Act freaky. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Hmm. It's like a, it's like a, it's like if you took a camera through a haunted house attraction like five times in a row. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I think he is a really good technical filmmaker though because one, I was gonna kind of j- jump on what Chris was saying a few minutes ago about like there was there were a couple points in this where I'm like, oh, I think this might be a long take situation. Am I just like n- not paying enough attention? Or and I think it is just that like he does it so well and so effortlessly and kind of subtly, but there is there's there clearly there's clearly like a different ethos in how he shot like the first chapter oh, yeah. right because i think we get an introduction and two chapters and then an epilogue um the first chapter is very like very elegant and the camera's very glidey and and moving you feel like you're at a party it's fun it's effervescent and then when shit goes real the camera like doesn't know where to look sometimes, you know, and it's he's the it's it's stumbling around like the characters are while mm. they're all fucked up on the LSD. And I thought it was it was a really uh, interesting kind of jarring effect, the way that he chose to shoot those two sequences differently. Yeah, for sure. Did it blow my mind? No, but it's good filmmaking, I think. Yeah, yeah. The I, I want to go back to what Chris was talking about with kind of the opening interviews, which are. I don't know. Interesting. There, there's so many fucking characters in this movie. You know what? Like 20, probably, dancers. Something like that. Yeah. And there's an interview clip with pretty much all of them. And it's impossible to track more than, like, I don't know, five, six, maybe, characters. I, I had extreme trouble keeping track. And I feel like anybody would have trouble keeping track of who's who, what their, like, weird little quirks are, and uh, what their motivations are. I got really confused by that. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I was confused. I never felt like I was... I I just felt like, okay, I've got to pick my favorites. You know, the the ones that I'm going to pay attention to. And some of them are, like, background and don't even have any lines during the the party, or very few Mm -hmm. lines. Um, There's one particular... Uh, dancer who like I don't remember his interview but he does these like crazy like robotic Javier Botet-esque dances <laughs> you know he's like jerking his head around in ways that don't seem physically possible while yeah. also moving his arms in different direction like I kind of latched on to him even mm-hmm. though he didn't really seem to play a, much of a part uh, in, in the action mm-hmm. I was really interested in the <laughs> the brother sister duo from their mm-hmm. interview it was very clear that uh there's something something a little more going on there and i was <laughs> uh both curious and kind of afraid to find out what that might be mm-hmm. uh, i'm curious about you guys who who you might have latched on to in this if anyone i mean you know sofia botella is it's the ostensible the kind of lead yeah the mummy the new mummy <laughs> is uh the ostensible lead of this and and she comes across well um, Ardith bay b-a-e yeah <laughs> um the the choreographer was a sympathetic character um to me especially because she puts out the sangria that gets spiked by whoever and kind of gets blamed for it and her life and her child's life go to absolute shit as a result but i found her an engaging character well, but speaking of engaging characters, I mean, as I said to Patrick last night early, well, one, we should have a separate award at our year-end show for uh, the, the Mr. Banku of, <laughs> yeah. of the year. Spirit of Banku. Um, Spirit of Banku. The little little Tito had some big Banku energy in this, and it was, it, was, it was compelling and horrifying and at times hilarious to see how a child fits into this nightmare scenario. Yeah, yeah we can probably explain his fate in the, the spoiler yeah. electrical closet, I suppose. <laughs> we must. 
I mean, certain characters get your sympathies more than other as the action plays out. But early on, there was no one I lashed on to. Those, those video interviews were just sort of setting the stage for me, basically. I didn't even, you know, I didn't expect to be tested on it. Uh, so I wasn't right. really even trying to remember everybody. Um, more interesting to me than the people on the screen <laughs> was how the TV was framed with books <laughs> yeah. on one side and movies on the other side and if you're wondering what this movie's influences are just <laughs> it's all right there it couldn't yeah. be more obvious yeah oh and there's a big uh, shout out to i mean suspiria is an obvious one but yeah. uh possession is also up there mm. and i could definitely see the influence on, of that in the the second chapter of this when, when la la land is out. up there <laughs> Nineteen twenty London. I mean, <laughs> I, I do have to give the the actors some props. I mean, for being dancers, and I mean, incredible dancers. Like, obviously, these are professional dancers, oh, and yeah. there's fucking insane dancing in this movie. But for the most part, I thought the performances were pretty decent for people who hadn't acted before. You know, I mean, Butella is an actor and was an actor prior to this movie, and and I think he put her in the lead ish role for a reason but everybody else felt fairly natural to me um even yeah there are a lot of very unlikable characters in this movie but i thought they came across pretty well especially for being mostly first timers at at that game i you know i'm gonna say something that might be totally ignorant and uninformed i think if you can dance you can act i think that's pretty on point I think so too. And like, there's been a lot made of like, they have these, this whole cast has zero acting experience. So I'm like, you're going to tell me you learned to dance and you weren't in a fucking play at some point and had a line or two. Like, mm. I think that was a little bit more of a promotional thing. Uh, but I, I agree. That sounds I think like some bullshit. Yeah. If, I if want you a forensic can... audit of their resumes. Well, I think the point is more none of them have film credits, you know? Sure. Sure. But I, I, I do think that like, if you can move, if you can work with your body in the way that these people can, you know that that is just uh, that, that is a very similar form of expression to what we call like acting, stage acting or film mm-hmm. acting. You're not using your words; you're using your body to convey meaning and emotion. And I thought everyone seemed yeah pretty natural, except for you know it made a lot of sense. I didn't know going into the movie that that was the case. It made a lot of sense when I thought back on the scene where people are just sitting around talking about fucking for like 20 minutes. And like, there. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about fucking it's in like this movie. It's like these general. guys are clearly it, it was almost at times it was almost like you know if you're if you've got like a, uh, a extras on a film set and, and they've got to make up their own conversation in the background to look like they're talking and they're just kind of saying nonsense to each other and trying to make each other break. There's a lot of that energy going on and while I did mm. find it entertaining, it didn't really add any substance at all to the proceedings for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't even know because honestly, none of this, the back half of this movie is just an acid trip and not very little of what you hear or learn about any of these characters, whether it's in their tapes or in their talking to each other about having sex or whatever is germane to anything that happens after it. I think it's just, it's kind of like Big Brother or something, where you're like, you have the little, (laughs) everyone's got their little moment in the confessional, so you decide who you're going to root for, and then they just all go wild in the hamster wheel or whatever, and you get to pick your favorites and kind of track them. That is, I mean, it sounds like from what Patrick was saying in his setup to this, it sounds like that's all the intent was. Let's let's watch a a group of people, like, combine together for a common goal, and it goes bad. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think, I don't, I, I don't know that there's really, like, a message here. I, I don't know that any of like the character arcs, if they even exist, are really all that compelling or or revelatory. Uh, it's just it, it it does what it says on the tin, as the Brits <laughs> yeah. would say. Yeah, a well, French you... film and proud of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the many uh, sort of ostentatious title cards that appears on the screen. Oh yeah, there's thought, a lot of credits. And my thought was, wow, thanks. I would have never guessed this was a French film. <laughs> yeah, well, considering that when that when that title comes up, there's an enormous sequined French flag covering the entire <laughs> background of the staging area that they're in, uh, just to hammer it home even further. 
Did you guys think it was weird? There's a part where there's there's two characters, black characters, and they keep talking about the flag that's on the wall that's disturbing them, but we don't ever see it. I don't think <laughs> that's the that's what they're talking about. Is oh that yeah, big I assume the French, French flag. flag. Yeah. Oh, they're talking about the big sequin French flag. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was weirder when they were talking about eating ass, and one of them's talking about being into it, and then five minutes later, while they're still talking about it, he's like, "I would never do that." Maybe that was the acid kicking in. Mm. He forgot. It's weird, and it's like it's just cut. They just put like a couple frames of black over all their cuts, so you see where they cut. They don't yeah. care. Oh, I liked that actually. That well, that's only a certain point in the movie, isn't that kind of as the acid is kicking in? I think that's yeah. kind of for effect, like to, and it and it was effective to me as far as like that weird. It created that sense of like I don't know when you're like smoking weed or something, and and it seems like time keeps resetting. That was kind of what that felt like. Does uh, that you, happen when, when you're on acid? You lose frames. You, you I don't lose, know about it. I don't know, but, but d- does it happen in the Phantom Zone, Chris? Does that sound familiar? To <laughs> I, you? I I can account for all 20 years I was in that Phantom Zone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that was kind of cool too. I mean, yes, it is practical in that like they're neat. They they have to cut these like long takes that they're doing with these actors improvising but it did give me this kind of time dilating sort of feeling and it's all it's almost and it kind of ratchets up and it feels like this kind of slow uh strobing mm-hmm. effect uh, over time before it fully descends into chaos yeah so i thought that was a way of of finding a way to cut around this that was also you know not thematic but but it made sense for what was happening in these characters minds yeah because everybody's getting real paranoid at that point and starting to yeah yeah things are starting to fall apart there but already and like in the conversations i'm getting i I, because it's it's the movie's tipping its hand that it's you know a very experimental sort of film and i'm like okay well, what's the interesting element to this experimentation? Like, are you just going to show me a whole bunch of people talking about drugs and sex? And that's Chris, that's it. <laughs> is this is this mumble horror? <laughs> I guess, yeah, it might be mumblecore. Well, it is mumblecore. We know that. <laughs> I'm just surprised that term hasn't come up. But yeah, I mean that that's to say. I, it doesn't seem like there's anything more to the experimentation. Like I, I'd be, I, I'd be surprised if Gaspar Noé uh, has a thesis he that he set out with this film that he didn't pull out of his ass in a press junket. No, I can so confirm just, that he doesn't. He said as much. Okay, okay he's good. just trying good. to be a pro- so he's trying to be a provocateur, but the stuff he's showing me isn't even really provocative. So not only does it not have a point, it's not provocative. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Are you just how is it not provocative? Or what do you mean when you say it's not provocative? I mean, it didn't shock me or stimulate me intellectually. Neither of the two. Like to to just like, oh, I'm gonna linger in this party for a while. I mean, before things get crazy, then I see how you could say, oh, it's it's provocative or whatever. But just all the table setting. Maybe maybe it felt longer than it was. Maybe it wasn't that long. But just having all these characters saying frivolous stuff to each other it's boring i'm like damn this reminds me of like just going to some party where i don't know anybody and listening to conversations i don't give a fuck about except i, I can't go home i'm already home i gotta finish <laughs> this movie for a podcast <laughs> i didn't find it boring but i did find the wind up to the you know, kind of the, the acid trip and the meltdown was much longer than I remembered it being. I kind of thought that shit got crazy sooner. I mean, it's still like, yeah, what the last half of the movie we keep saying is that, but I don't know. I guess I remembered more of the movie being that from the first it's time. Probably I saw more it. than half the movie. I don't know. I don't know. And also there's various levels to the, to the, acid trip like there's a good section of this movie where everybody's just vibing and mostly having a good time and they're just fucked up and seemingly drunk yeah there's that too that was my favorite stuff in the movie honestly i i I felt very easygoing i i felt like a voyeur fly on the wall these people are all you know beautiful and talented and having fun letting loose i thought it was a good hang everything after that i thought was kind of belabored and like intentionally trying to be provocative and shocking and it i think i'm with chris it didn't really work on me 
I have a I'm couple like, of I just in, got out of Saw X. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Did Saw X shock you more than this movie? Um, I, I don't know. I would say I had the same emotional response for the most part to both of them. Hmm. <laughs> there was one. There was one part of this movie that that got under my skin a little bit, but um, yeah, because <laughs> hmm. the and I mean we we should probably move towards the spoiler room so that we can actually kind of talk about the specifics yeah. of what happens during this freakout. But like, it is very visceral and very unsettling for me even i mean it's interesting because i think people would describe this as a violent movie i think it's been been described as a violent movie but there's not a lot of violence um in part just because of you know i think kind of the semi-improvised nature of all this so it's not like you can really plan out a lot of like super gory shit or anything but just the way everything comes apart and everyone is accusing people of shit they didn't do and just the the way the camera wanders back and forth between rooms and the way things have progressed since the last time you were in that room is just deeply deeply unsettling and feels very real to me in a way that uh has probably set my desire to try acid at some point back by another five to ten years even though i had seen this before yeah, there's not a lot of violence, but it's it's consequential violence when it happens, and the movie feels so naturalistic, sort of, that you're like, oh god, like this feels like I'm at a party and something bad just happened. Um, this is this mm-hmm. is like this is the events of this movie are what my mom thought would happen if I ever went to a party with alcohol. Um, <laughs> yeah so this is probably what my mom still thinks happens when i go to a party with alcohol yeah this is what i thought was going to happen in nola <laughs> yeah I, i'm a little disappointed said you just got the lighthouse <laughs> yeah <laughs> well let's review what? this motherfucker and and talk about uh what actually does happen uh during this whole acid trip steven would you like to start yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give this a screw it. I don't. I couldn't recommend it to anybody. I enjoyed the hangout aspect of part of it, but I didn't feel like it really paid off. And I think it's shockingly less disturbing than I expected, given that it's a Gaspar Noe movie, and that's kind of how his movies are marketed. He's going to show you things that shouldn't be seen, that you don't want to see. And I found actually some of the some of the violence and some of the events that happen after everybody starts freaking out. Like I laughed a couple of times and I don't think I was supposed to, I felt very disconnected from it ultimately because I could feel that there really wasn't a point to it. And that's just not a kind of filmmaking that I seek out or that I respond to very well. Um, Chris, view it, cue it or screw it. Yeah, I'll I'll have to mostly co-sign what you said. I have to give it a screw it. I didn't hate it. I saw a lot of really polarizing reviews of this movie. You know, people are saying this movie's trash. This movie's come. I I didn't hate it. It just what what was there that worked for me was just uh it was few and far between and it just felt like a movie that was deliberately wasting my time like and and I didn't I didn't get on board with that like if I want to see something shocking or see a good dance number or any of the things that this movie brings to the table I can do it in other movies and have mm-hmm. the same emotional response if not more but actually get a movie out of it so I just I didn't hate it but I just I felt the the hand on my shoulder of this provocateur being like, oh, aren't I transgressive for just making this? Mm-hmm. And it didn't charm me. I've seen, you know, I've been to a lot of student film festivals and 48 hour film festivals in my life. And it's not that crazy to be like oh we're gonna do a long take of a party going wrong and who spiked the punch and we're gonna end the movie showing you who spiked the punch and it it, it just seemed like a a more expensive version of that sort of thing that i've seen before and is quite juvenile and that makes it sound like i hated it which which maybe i I, you've seen that before oh yeah that sort of thing so I, I did I hate the intent behind this movie more than I hated the actual movie, I think. Um, but it's not something I'm gonna watch again, uh, nor would I recommend it to anybody else. So screw it. 
Patrick. In regards to what you just said, I would almost completely reverse that statement. I like the intent behind it almost more than I like the movie. I like that he just had this sort of vague, strange idea and made it up as he went along. I love when a director just does what they fucking feel like doing. And I enjoy this a lot on that level. I totally understand why pretty much anyone wouldn't respond to it because it's a weird and idiosyncratic movie for sure. But I love it. It feels very singular to me. In contrast to your student film statement, I've never seen anything like this. And even though it gets a little draggy in parts for me, especially those interviews that we were talking about, and it is hard to track this cast of characters at times, I don't know. It's it's just a very, very singular experience to me. It was especially kind of staggering to watch in a theater, which I did the first time. And it was still really... um, gripping and, and, and shocking and unusual to me this second time around. So I'm actually going to give it a view it, um, which is weird because it's also not something that I would actively recommend to anyone, obviously. I mean, in the sense of like, I wouldn't recommend it to everyone is more what I mean, but I love this movie. So I'll give it a view it. All right. Well, we are going to head down to the spoiler electrical closet and spoil all the shit that goes down during this acid trip. But before we do that, I will remind you to follow us on social media. We are at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N cast on Facebook, Instagram, and the site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, You can go to our broken website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com, and see a list of at least some of the movies that we've watched over the years. You can also access our merch store from the website where you can get a t-shirt or coffee mug or other goods with Amon art on them. And lastly, follow us and review us on your podcast provider of choice. Those reviews in particular uh, are great for us because they give us feedback and also help people find the show. All right, you guys ready to go spoil the climax of Climax? Yes. Was there a climax in Climax? (laughs) Uh, I would say absolutely yes. Jesus, fuck. Let's go do it. Welcome back. We are in the spoiler room and we are ready to spoil everything about Climax. Uh, and I mean, there, there's just a lot. There's a lot of fucked up shit that goes down in this film. I mean, I, I feel like the the most obvious go-to point is the the Mr. Banku of 2023, Tito, the, the small child son of the choreographer, ends up drinking the fucking sangria and also tripping out on LSD. And his mom locks him in an electrical closet to his mom, who, of of course, is also tripping at this point, locks him in an Mm -hmm. electrical closet to theoretically protect him from the chaos going on around everybody else who's on acid because they're looking at him like. He he might taste pretty good if we put him in the oven for a, for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, and his like screams from the electrical closet become just kind of a recurring auditory motif as the camera and characters float from room to room. Uh, you just know bad shit is going on for this kid. He's screaming at one point about cockroaches being in the closet, which of course, who knows if they're actually there, if he's just hallucinating those. And eventually... The lights go out in the place and somebody says that he's fried himself by messing with the, the controls in the electrical closet, which seems to be borne out by a shot that we see of him later in the movie, apparently yeah. having died in the closet. And that was sort of the most chilling part of the movie for me when the power goes out and someone says, like, and you can't tell if he's serious or not. Like, oh, Mr. Banku fried himself. The power's yeah. out. But yeah. since, like, that Chekhov's gone electrical cabinet has been there for so long, you're like... Uh, he, he probably did fucking kill himself, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, before the character even said that, I was like, the power went out. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> I like the power s- going out is just an excuse for the rest of the movie to be just in red emergency lights. Yeah. There's it, there's no narrative reason for the camera to be fucking upside down for the rest of the movie. Narrative? No. I mean, why would there be a narrative reason for it to be upside down? It's for aesthetic purposes. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know, Stephen and I were talking about this last night. Like I obviously we we've discussed before kind of differing views on on children in peril or dead children in movies and I uh usually react more strongly to 
those those moments. And I reacted strongly to this, but didn't necessarily find it exploitative, even though if I look at it, it's just like, okay, like, obviously, this is just like, I mean, talk about provocateurism, like this director clearly trying to push my buttons. And yet I didn't respond to it with that kind of anger. I just responded to it with sort of shock, I, I guess, because it maybe made sense that this choreographer would have her kid there and that like he would be oblivious to what was going on and like try the the booze i was at a wedding this weekend and a kid almost drank my beer so like i could see how this would happen you know um Mm -hmm. but i don't know it's it's still like something where almost like intellectually i'm like i should be like fuck you gaspar like this is over the top and unnecessary but for some reason that's not the way i responded to it emotionally and i don't know why I think I think this is a movie where you need to have something human and relatable to anchor yourself through all the chaos because make no mistake this is all fucked up people most of whom are assholes screaming writhing doing weird shit for an hour and to have these little moments where you have an objectively innocent and relatively sober character. Like I think he drinks a little bit of sangria. Like, like he is under the effect of LSD by the end of it, but not through any fault of his own or whatever. But you have this like innocent character. And then a mother who's like fucked up, but trying to keep it together enough to take care of her kid. That's that. That's a, that's drama. And Mm. it's relatable because when we go to parties and stuff and something fucked up happens, like, I don't know. It feels like something that could happen. And Mm -hmm. it feels like something that you can invest yourself in and care about amidst everything else going on, which is pretty arbitrary. And so I think maybe that's why it doesn't feel super exploitive, at least to me. Um, Yeah. I think, I think that, I think that's a good summary. I think that crystallizes some of my thought process around it pretty well. There's a couple little mini dramas like that. You know, we find out another woman who's suspected of poisoning the punch because she didn't drink it uh, is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And there's a little like there's a little micro drama where the mummy is trying to talk to her about being a mommy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, what are we going to do? But but like the mummy's fucked up. But like trying to be a good friend in this moment, and then like someone else comes in and just like brutalizes the shit uh, this woman because she assumes that she's been spiking the punch. Um, yeah, yeah. So pregnant I, woman I, gets the I, shit kicked out of her. I did read a review on Letterboxd that said this movie has pretty foul gender and racial politics, and so I was kind of looking, look looking with an eyebrow raised at some of the depictions in here and I, I do think there's a little bit of an uneven balance of the races of the sympathetic characters versus the characters who are dis- uh, portrayed as more brutal or animalistic mm. but I mean that's that's all I'm sure interesting to look into but considering that this was mostly improvised by the actors themselves it's just like that. Could be coincidental. No, it could just be coincidental. Like I, 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 it's like with everything in this movie. I just don't think there's anything deeper to it. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's I, yeah. I mean, they they mostly, from what I understand, made up their own character details. He looked to them to ask them like how they wanted to treat other characters, and then would consult those actors and be like, hey, is it okay if this person kicks you or whatever? And they would kind of build on it iteratively in that fashion. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not too sure about racial or gender politics because I'm not sure that there are any. And also, like, I don't know. Kind of everyone just sucks in this anyways. <laughs> everyone sucks. There was one thing where I was kind of looking for a theme in a thread, in an idea, there is a lot of talk about abortion in this movie. It comes up mm-hmm. a bunch of times. Not just abortion, but also, um, you know, motherhood and taking care of a child. We see that borne out in what happens to poor Tito um, because his mom gets fucked up by accident and can't can't cut it. 
Uh, but I, again, it didn't really lead anywhere where I, by the end of it, I was like, hmm, I should really spend some time thinking about what this movie has <laughs> to say about a woman's right to choose. Because it just mm-hmm. seems like that that's that's a topic of conversation everywhere. Yeah, it's and, like a Rorschach blot. There's certainly, I could, if I could put together various things along the theme of like bodily autonomy in this movie. But is it saying anything? Is it intentional? I don't think so. No. Any anything it's saying frankly is kind of accidental. I mean uh, again like the only thing he said he set out to do with this was portray a group of people creating something and then it falling apart and everything else is just kind of incidental. Um and it is yeah, I think Rorschach blot is a good reference point. But I'm trying to think what else happens in this that's sort of notable. I mean like I wasn't even clear, honestly, in the end of who spiked the punch. You you referenced that before, Chris. Like, who, was it clear to you who actually did that in the end? Yeah, after all the dust clears, there's a little epilogue, and the last shot of the movie is you see the like tall blonde German. <laughs> oh person, yeah, yeah. And she's got like a LSD textbook in her purse, and she's putting LSD drops in her eyes, and the movie's like, "Gotcha!" And that's the end of the movie. And she's oh. the one who said in, she said in her interview she had to leave Berlin because there were too many drugs and her friend was putting acid in his eye. Right. So, I just oh, read that. <laughs> oh, I just read that as though the like the experience in the warehouse had actually turned her on to to doing that. I didn't read it as she was the one who spiked it. Oh, I think it's like taking place in the in one of the rooms in this in this compound. I, I didn't think it was like a, this is after the fact, but who's to oh. say, Hmm. I don't know, but yeah, it's just writhing, screaming. Yeah. Writhing, screaming. There's a pretty this cool, is, there's a pretty cool bit with the, the mummy. I, I, I like that. We're calling her that now. Ardeth Bay. Um, she has a very cool, like dancey scene as she's, she's not actively dancing, but she's reacting in a very dance like way to, mm the horror around her into her trip. And I watched a behind the scenes featurette about that. They had a choreographer who is literally behind the camera, like giving her direction in the moment they shot, I think seven takes or something like that. That's a, it's, it's cool. I enjoyed that. That was where I saw the strongest allusion to the movie possession actually was during that sequence. Because there's a lot of like balletic type movement in that movie that's sort of at odds with what's really happening mm. um to the characters i need to finally watch that i'll keep talking about it until you do yeah <laughs> i want to yeah see i i like that segment of this movie it was a, a strong performance and it goes on for a long time one take yeah she's acting like she's got bugs under her skin i mean i think it's part of the mega take right isn't that Within like Probably. the sort of giant yeah. forty-two minute take, I think. Yeah, we're oh my god! I just remembered where we also like in Carrie Blood in the Water see somebody get set on fire. Yeah, that was that was pretty wild too. And then you later see her like fucking burn scalp and her just like trying to scratch it because mm-hmm. it itches. And then of course it hurts when she scratches it, and that was horrifying. But yeah, basically Don't everybody gets drugs. pretty well fucked up by the end of this. Kind of unclear who's actually dead and. <laughs> Who's not in some cases, but uh, it's a uh, knocks pretty much everybody out of commission by the time the police get there. Oh, we find out the brother and sister are there's an incestuous thing going on there. Some fight breaks out because of that. I don't know. Well, don't we see him trying to fuck her? Yeah, which I like, I feel like. I mean, it did not surprise me because I felt like that's been going on this whole time. We just haven't actually seen it. And Gaspar mm-hmm. Noe's like, we're not just going to talk about incest. I'm going <laughs> to rub your face in it. Um, it's kind of gross and pointless. It's hard to say. It's it's really hard, to, especially once the camera turns upside down. It's hard to tell who's writhing on who, who's yes. puking, who's shitting. Well, you're supposed to stand on your head for that portion of the film. It's a lot easier (laughs) to tell what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Which, you know, hey, whatever. This all really happened, though, um, on the set of Titanic, by the way. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, uh, right? Somebody spiked the chowder or whatever? Yeah, someone spiked the oh. chowder with PCP and everyone got fucked up except for James Cameron, who probably because he had so much experience with hallucinogens along the Colorado yeah. River doing windowpane acid, he recognized the symptoms and threw up. And so he was mildly affected, but uh, a lot of the crew was hospitalized. Well, this is also based on, I mean, loosely based on something that actually happened. I think it was just, obviously, there was not like a fucking massacre like there is in this. But there was, uh, I think, a group of dancers who accidentally took LSD in a warehouse or something. I think I think that's pretty much where the story ends. But it did actually happen in 1996. That's not referenced in one of the many credit sequences. It sounds like a group of people trying to pretended the police that they didn't plan a rave (laughs) yeah oh yeah absolutely well listen now that we're down here in the spoiler room and it's just us what's the most what's the most fucked up thing you've seen at a party (laughs) like this (laughs) i've never been to a party quite like this right but any any party me neither but but any party where there's lots of alcohol or drugs and then the party goes fucking wrong I'm you. I'm sure you have one. Well, I, I was assuming. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I nothing. Nothing leaps to things. mind for me. So I figured if you had something in mind, share it, and I'll see if I can come up with something in the meantime. I remember one time there was like a speakeasy where I went to college, where it's like after the bar closed, you'd go down the street into some basement in the downtown where these like random people were running their own bar. And I was down there and like there were narrow wooden stairs to get down into the basement. And at some point during the party, some guy like fell down the stairs and like broke his leg Mm, (laughs) or something. And he was fucked up already. And he's just like laying on the stairs, like with his broken leg and his brother was there and like not knowing what to do. And the people who owned the bar, quote unquote, owned the bar came over and were like you need to get him the fuck out of here and they're like his legs broken and it was like just a very dark situation and i think the paramedics ended up being called and like actual ambulance came and took him off the stairs um and i think it resulted in that place getting closed down as it as it should have been but um, um i don't know that's the first thing that comes to mind i'm just thinking of like things where you're you're a little you're out of your element you're having a quote-unquote good time and you look over and then you just see something that's like oh this isn't good i mean honestly this is reminding me we, we talked about new orleans earlier and this is reminding me of my many experiences along those lines on the giant party that is bourbon street i just uh am flashing back to the first time steven and i went there about 10 or 15 years ago yeah and we like we were there i don't know probably like a wednesday through sunday or something and because it was our first time we didn't know any better we went to bourbon every night and (laughs) oh no and it just you know it it picks up you didn't know better after the first night Well, it's chiller earlier in the week, and then it, it gets more and more crazy every night. And by the Saturday night that we were there, it was just packed. And, you know, we were trying to have a good time. We went to some seedy places, and we were walking down Bourbon and just saw, like, an ambulance driving through, like, pushing through this giant mass, the sea of humanity that was swarming on Bourbon, and saw a, a paramedic leading a dude with his shirt off, to the ambulance and Mm -hmm. it was all in silhouette because of the lighting so we couldn't tell exactly what had happened but there was something hanging out of this guy's arm whether it was a syringe or a knife or something and on top of the already oppressive atmosphere that is bourbon like our, our group all just kind of looked at each other and were like, yup, it's time to quit this fucking scene. And we left bourbon immediately and went to a much chiller Australian themed bar and spent the rest of the night there. But, and we had a delightful time there. Drinking oh yeah. Fosters and- Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, I have a couple of quick ones. Uh, one, I went to this techno show at Ziggy's and Ipsy like five years ago and got invited to an after party in a house that had easily, 200 people in it and if you think of any house in the vicinity 
that's too many. Like, it doesn't seem feasible, and yet somehow people were stacked inside and outside. And the 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 energy was very cokey and druggy, and I was just kind of like with a couple of friends having a beer, just like looking around like, yeah, pretty bad vibes here. We should probably get out. And I tried to leave, and I opened a door to that led outside but did not lead to an exit it led to like a little courtyard and all the lights were off it but i could tell there was a group of people standing in a circle watching someone inject a woman with heroin and trying to convince her that it was a good idea and that jesus yeah so that was pretty scary um another one actually was at a party of a uh, a friend of ours in high school. You guys both might have been there. Yeah, I I don't know if I was there. I know the story, and it's like I've heard the story so many times. I don't. I sort of have a false memory. I might have been there, or I might have a false memory of being there. But I could have easily been there. Uh, my my high school friend who had moved away and had gotten into drugs, but I didn't know, uh, overdosed on Robitussin and was on the floor. And this is a party where like we were not drinking. This was a completely sober party. We're listening to the B-52s and chatting it up and having a good time. And uh, I turn over and he's on the ground having a seizure and frothing at the mouth. And no one knew what to do. So we had to talk to the party host's uh, mother, wake her up out of bed because she's a registered nurse, mandated reporter, and sort the scenario out. But yeah, I, I know well that feeling of when a good time turns dark Mm. and i think this i think climax captures that fairly well yeah for what it is it it has i've never had a bad trip but it is kind of what i imagine that would be like too yeah oh man now i'm thinking of others but I'm, i'm gonna tell you guys off cast it's not for not for listeners ears yeah just don't don't party (laughs) ever don't party do do not come (laughs) all right so steven what uh, a24 film are we watching for next episode we are going to watch the 2015 horror thriller directed by oz perkins son of famous actor tony perkins norman bates himself we're watching the black coat's daughter oh i've heard good things about that but i haven't seen it Yeah, so I'll read the plot description here on Google. During the dead of winter, a troubled young woman, Emma Roberts, embarks on a mysterious journey to an isolated prep school where two stranded students, Kiernan Shipka and Lucy Boynton, face a sinister threat from an unseen evil force. I've heard really good things about this. It seems like it might have Halloween energy, which I think would be appropriate for when that episode is going to air. So... Oh man! Two weeks. The Black Coat's daughter. Get ready, folks. Is it Sounds is it great. is it kosher to watch a film starring SAG Strike Scab Emma Roberts right now? Uh, I didn't hear that she was scabbing. She, yeah, she she, scabbing? she and Ryan Murphy and everybody else cross picket lines to finish the new American Horror Story season. I mostly I, I am joking. Like we'll we'll watch that movie. Obviously, I'm not trying to call it into question, but mostly. Just oh, but wanna, we should talk. I just want to I just want to shade the cast of American Horror Story delicate while we have a second here. Oh yeah, yeah. We no, I mean we'll, sh- we name and shame on this show. <laughs> yeah, we'll be we'll be talking shit for sure, um, and also fuck everything related to American Horror Story. How could you think that that's important enough to break strike lines for? Um, <laughs> I do like that show, but I haven't watched it in a few seasons now. Anyway, so we'll be watching the Black Coat's Daughter next episode. Be there, be square, and make sure you're uh, there for paranormal activity in between this episode and the Black Coat's Daughter episode. Until then, I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. I'm Steven. We'll see you next time. The real American horror story is that millions of workers are not getting the wages and benefits that they deserve.